Well, it is so wonderful to see all of you. Uh, it's, a, it's a real delight. I want to just say that um, although I have greeted 14 classes of students at Asbury over my 14 years as president, uh, this is the one I'm most excited about. <laughs> because uh, you are, no, I don't say that every year. I say that really because you are our centennial class. We are so excited. You are the 100th class of Asbury Seminary. Amen? Isn't that great? H.C. Uh, Morrison wouldn't have believed it, but here you are. So we are so delighted for you being here. And also, uh, as you I'm sure you know, you're, this is half of our group. Uh, we have uh, students from around the country on our sites. They're also part of Asbury, including two new sites at, at Lifesong. Methodist Church in, uh, in Orlando, and also our new site uh, at the Salvation Army headquarters in Tampa. They're opening this fall. So we are just so excited for the others that are also joining who are part of the Asbury community. Also, I want to just uh, mention my wife here, Julie. Would you please raise your hand? And see my wife, Julie. She's a great blessings community, and uh, we'd like to invite all of you over. You'll send your schedule to our home tonight for a big meal and enjoyment together. So just down the road uh, on the left is Rose Hill, which is the presidential home, and you're welcome there tonight, as well as any, any night you want to wander around up there, you're welcome to do so. We often say, hey, who's that out there? Oh, yeah, the students, okay. Uh, <laughs> but you're always welcome to be a part of our community and certainly there as well. Well, have you ever read something that the minute you read it, you knew you would never forget it? I had the experience actually 40 years ago uh, in 1982. I was reading a Christianity Today you know, journal, and in the, in the CT was an editorial on the editorial page written in by someone, and it was actually re referring to an article written the previous month, which I don't recall reading, but it, clearly the article was about you know, so-called findings of liberal scholarship and people out there that are questioning the authority of the New Testament and the integrity of Christ. And this person who wrote in that month, and I think he too, was clearly really upset. And he uh, basically said, you know, uh, these scholars are dead wrong. And he says, you know, I don't know any Greek or Hebrew, any of that kind of stuff, but I know they're wrong. And then he, he said something. This is the part I'll never forget. He said... To these scholars, I'd just a simple-minded fool, but, he said, I would rather be a fool on fire than a scholar on ice. I've never forgotten that. I'd rather be a fool on fire than a scholar on ice. Now, that is a kind of a tough choice, isn't it? <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, do you want to live in Hiroshima in 1945 or go on the Titanic maiden voyage? Your choice. A fool on fire or a scholar on ice. But it does reveal something that really happens a lot in Christian circles, namely that we somehow go out with a warm heart and an empty head. The idea that you check your brain at the door or perhaps, perhaps what you sometimes have heard already that maybe, oh, you're going to seminary or, I mean, cemetery, that kind of thing. Or you'll think that somehow coming here is a place that brings to the, the death of your, your heart. Well, welcome to Asbury Theological Seminary, where scholarship is on fire. 
Welcome to Asbury, where the life of the mind enlarges the heart, and where the whole idea of where head and heart go hand in hand is not simply a slogan, but a description of who we are as a community. If you ever earn a privilege to, or privilege to have a degree from Asbury, and it does happen, we've had 13,345 people who received degrees from this seminary. And if you go down in our alumni hall, you actually see the names of all 13,345 graduates of the seminary. And someday, your name will also be there. And some of you, I realize, are on the two-year plan. Some are on the three-year plan. Some are on the five-year plan. <laughs> some are on the ten-year plan. But whatever plan you're on, at some point, you will graduate, and you will be a thinking thoughtful, reflective Christian with a heart on fire for Jesus Christ. Amen? That's who we are. It's not about, you know, a balance of these two things. It's part of who we are. It's a marriage. This is Wesley's language that we are, in fact, uh, a matrimonial knit between our head and our heart. Our hearts, of, again, quoting Wesley, our hearts aflame with the love of God, having the mind of Christ. Our mission statement says we are theologically to educate you. Now, if you were to go and you were to look at 50 websites of 50 seminaries, they would all would say, if you come to our school, we will theologically educate you. That, that's pretty kind of standard, and it should happen. Better happen. But we say something else. It's a little disruptive. We say we're going to theologically educate you, but we're also going to sanctify you and make sure you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now that is a different kind of project. It's about a whole formational project of head and heart brought together into a marvelous unity in Christ. This is what we call the Asbury Experience. Now our text today really reveals this quite beautifully. Peter's writing a church a lot like ours. A church that is experiencing hostility, ignorance, apathy, suspicion from the outer culture, and they are going through a lot of struggles. And this book is written to encourage them. And listen to the word of advice he gives. We're going to focus just on verse 15. The first of all, what I call the sanctified heart. Verse 15, he says, In your hearts, set apart Christ or sanctify Christ as Lord. Now, here, what he's saying here is that there's something that happens in your heart. This is a sanctification of your heart. This means that when God does something in your life, he wants to redirect your heart towards him in a very deeply profound way. Now, I'm sure that everyone in this room has been justified and has put your trust in Jesus Christ. If you're not justified and you're here today, you're wondering what in the world is going on. But if you, assuming you're all justified, but the question is, how many of you have been so profoundly filled and empowered by the Spirit that your heart has been actually redirected toward the things of God in such a way that sin is not your secret lover, but your mortal enemy? You see, this is the power of what he's talking about here. In fact, he uses the, this is actually an aorist imperative, which you will learn what that means at some point, but... And Aris imperative means that it's not actually a completed action. It's as if he's looking out at your life, kind of like he has a helicopter looking down at your whole life, and he sees that something happened in your life. You, your heart was sanctified, and that continues on all the way to the present and beyond. 
It's an ongoing action of God in your life. It isn't like justification. Well, back in March of 1980, whatever, I got saved. No, this is about what continues to happen in your life as you're set apart, you're sanctified to follow the Lord. For Peter, this is an active verb. It's something you do, not just something you have. It's like the lame beggar when they said, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give unto you, rise and walk. Now that is faith at work. It's like those, those men, that, those women, that whoever, that carried their friend to, to Jesus where they, they clawed their hands through those tiles. That was faith at work, wasn't it? Or the women that hid those spies under the flax uh, in, the, in the whole early part of Israel's history. That was faith at work. This is what God has called us to do. We don't believe that you're, you're saved by, you're not, you're not saved by your works, but you need a faith that works, don't you? And this is what Paul is talking about and what Peter's talking about. Many of you have left your home and you've traveled to Wilmore, Kentucky. People don't move here. I mean, people just don't move here. Like, no one wakes up and says, I'm going to move to Wilmore, Kentucky. You came here on a formational journey, right? To, for you to move here is an act of faith. I go around, I talk to my like, you know, colleagues, president of colleagues, that, like, one of them is the, the, uh, the, the president of Denver Seminary, Mark Young, a wonderful friend of mine. And he said, I said, why do people come to Denver Seminary? He says, three reasons, location, location, location. And I said, wow, that's amazing. You know, being in Denver must be pretty awesome. And he said, yeah, but the problem is our graduates don't want to leave. They don't want to leave. They don't, they don't want to leave Denver. They just, they, our graduates are just completely packed in Denver. I said, we don't have that problem. <laughs> Our graduates go back to Taiwan, you know. They're ready to go. This is an amazing place, but you come here, you come to this town to someday get out of this town. And we've sent 13,000 out all over the world. I just got back from India just, just a few weeks ago and seen our graduates there. It's an amazing thing. The sanctified heart. Or let, let the Holy Spirit do a work in your heart here that will redirect your heart to holy affections. Secondly, he refers to the solidified mind. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope you have. Now this is Peter who in chapter 1 verse 13 says, prepare your minds for action. This is Peter. This is the one who always lived with his heart. He's the one, you know, Lord, you know, no one, I'll, I'll never deny you. He denies him three times. Lord, you know, don't wash just my feet, wash my hands as well, my whole body as well. Peter was a guy, he was a heart guy, but he learned to bring his mind under obedience to Christ, the power of that. We live in a world where there is so much attack on just basic truth, basic just what is, facts, just basic facts. The very fact that you're here shows an enormous amount of courage to go into a world of fake news, of the Twitterization of news, the kind of post-truth, alternative facts. We live in a world where the nature of truth itself is under attack. And you're going out boldly into that. You're preparing to go out into that kind of world. Now, if you were to travel across this whole country and you were to go, we'll just go on a special assignment, you know, and you were to travel from Kentucky to California to New England, all over, in some ways even true over the world, and you were to take, your job was to listen to dozens and dozens of sermons every Sunday morning. What would you experience? Well, you'd experience some sermons that required some goodwill to get through. 
you would experience some, a lot of like bland moralizing, a lot of cute stories, a few funny jokes, some things that weren't so funny. You'd experience a lot of that kind of stuff. What you would really, it would be kind of exceptional actually, if you walked to the church and you heard kind of a faithful exposition of scripture that was actually applied to real issues which we're facing today. It's actually more rarer than you think. So our whole one of our goals is to help you do that. Because a lot of times you go into churches, even if they're faithfully kind of exposing the word of God, there is no remote application to anything we're facing. So all of these pressing issues on, in our day, and you know them all, and they're all in your head right now. Think of the pressing issues which we need to address as the people of God. And the church is hungry for that. And here he says that we should prepare our minds for action. We should be prepared to give an answer. This is the word uh, apologion, where we get our word apologetics from. Prepare yourself. Be prepared to give an, a reason or an answer for those uh, who uh, bring up questions before you. You know, we often talk a lot about how progressive Christians have debunked the New Testament or decried the miracles, de devalued Jesus, make him a, a, like a, just another teacher. All that's true, but we are also guilty of trivializing the whole thing. You know, reducing the whole gospel to a simple slogan, some simple transaction, making the whole thing, you know. We are the ones that are probably the most famous for reducing the gospel to the kind of question, what is the least one has to do to become a Christian? Really? Is that what's going to make a difference in this culture? It seems to me we have a really a big project before us to understand that the kind of minimalistic Christianity, which is so much taking root in this culture, we have to realize that project is now dead and over with. This culture and this world needs a lot more than that. It is wrong to try to get as many people as possible to acknowledge as superficially as allowable a gospel which is theologically unsustainable. We have to do something deeper in fact, Kierkegaard, you never see this on your screensaver, but Kierkegaard famously said in his book Against Christendom, he said, Christianity is the most profound wound that can be inflicted upon us, calculated on the most dreadful scale to collide with everything. That's why I love Todd's point about you come here, it's about change. What he's saying is the gospel is going to collide with you. And it's going to create transformation and change. And we can't be living on a minimalistic level of just getting by. This culture won't be changed by getting by. It'll be changed by people who gloriously manifest the gospel in their lives and their communities. Well, therefore, this will not be a cruise ship where all your needs will be met. It's more like a voyage of like self-denial and ardor. It's a voyage where, you know, you might be like clawing your way through a Greek New Testament, but you amazingly see the, the face of God in that. Or you have your first counseling session where the first time you counsel somebody under supervision or you preach your first sermon in a lab here one day and you realize that you can become a co-laborer with God in redeeming the world. There's no greater possibility or gift than that. I wouldn't trade it for anything. That we get to be co-laborers with God in redeeming the world. And he calls us to roll up our sleeves and do that with him in the world. It's a great gift. Finally, Peter calls us not only to a sanctified heart and a solidified mind, but a sensitized witness. He says, verse 15, but do this with gentleness and respect, 
keeping a clear conscience. We live in a world that knows a lot about shouting at each other. You know, we used to have a public square where people would exchange ideas and search for truth. Now we have a coliseum where people fight, fight each other and it's actually sport to kill somebody you know, verbally. And so what, what do you do? How do you embody a world where everybody just wants to shout a little louder? Well, what you realize is even though you learn all your apologetics and you learn good doctrine here and good theology, you also learn at the same time there's nothing more powerful than the power of love. To love a world that hates you. To love a world, love a world that's broken and has no idea that the gospel of Christ is an answer to that brokenness. To just in abandonment love this world is a great gift, is no greater gift to the world than that. And so here is Peter saying, yes, prepare yourself, see your heart change, but also go out in the world with a sensitivity. The fact that the world, you can't blame the world for being worldly because that's what they are. They don't know. They don't understand. They need people to love them into the kingdom and to show them a different way. So you're at Heron Asbury because you know that a business-as-usual approach will not get the job done. You know that a pastor-as-comfortable-career option, that is no longer there. You know that you, know, you can't be preoccupied with your salary, your pension plan, your parsonage, all that is not going to make it here. You know that climbing the denominational ladder is not the ladder that we want to put you on. We want to put you on a gospel ladder. We want to put you on a ladder that's going to actually transform the world. That's what we're about here. We believe in it. We've seen it happen all over the world. These are the days of Perpetua from Carthage. Although she was still nursing a child, she stood in the arena of the lions, became one of the first female martyrs, rather than deny her faith. Can Perpetua be our guide? These are the days of Athanasius, the great Alexandrian bishop who saw the whole church careening off into Arianism. You may not know what Arianism is yet, but you will. <laughs> he saw it happen, and he told the whole church, no, you're going the wrong way. Go back and look at the text again. They, they called him Athanasius Contramundum, Athanasius against the world. He just stood strong, and the church eventually came back. Some of you are going to have to even address the church and say, read the text again and get it right. These days of Martin Luther, who despite his own challenges, he stood in the river, you know, and he said, here I stand, I can do no other. He had the courage to stand against huge challenges his day. These days of John Wesley, who preached himself out of every pulpit in England. They barred him from every pulpit. And that's when he said those famous words, I guess the world is my parish. He's preaching out at brickyards. He's preaching in the, you know, in the mines. He's preaching all over the, in the streets. I never forget one time they, got, they were in Bristol and they were, they were preaching. They had this huge crowd arriving the, and the people said, you can't preach outside a church building. It's not right. You've got to preach inside the church building. But they were, they were uh, this is before he got barred from the churches, but there was a huge crowd. And so what they, they cut the pulpit and they drug it over to the window. And Wesley got in the pulpit and preached outside the window to a crowd of 2,000 people. <laughs> That's my kind of person. I'm telling you, there's an opportunity before us to be equipped to change this world. 
and you're being called on this kind of journey. You've not been called to be a fool on fire. You've been called to be a scholar on fire, be thoughtful, transformative, the sanctified heart, the solidified mind, the sensitized mind. So witness, go out in that spirit. Go out in that faith. May this journey they're upon know, as it was said earlier, that there are so many of us here walking with you in this journey. You can go out someday and, and give them heaven. Amen.